episode number 20 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal. I am also known as Patsy the Angry Nerd. Joining me, as always, is my podcasting partner in perversity. I don't know if that's a real word. but it now uh, is. The Ironborn Agent Nicole. What up? <laughs> Thrilling response. Joining us as well. As uh, have, she has become a mainstay, and uh, she's our groupie. Yeah, probably the uh, the, the Columbia most, the of most, our group, the most popular uh, member of our group. I agree. The ravishing Ashes Von Nightmare. Hello, darlings. How are you? We are joined as well by our uh, prisoner, <laughs> Mr. Johnny Wolfenstein. Like to consider myself more of an indentured servant. Okay, I can see that. He's you our Wong. A lifet- you- <laughs> oh, <geez>. What? <laughs> from Doctor Strange, from our last episode. Oh, right, right. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of I'm that I'm on going- my third, third viewing of it. <laughs> really? There was a lot of that stuff going on. You know, we had Wong, we had Hop Singh on uh, Bonanza. Well, as promised, we are back, joined again by the host of Talk Without Rhythm, the mighty and powerful El Goro. Yeah, rolling through the territory once again. Let's go. Let's throw down. I have a question. Lay it on me. What do you have against attractive worms? Well, uh, worms are the leading cause of death on Arrakis, and they should always be avoided wherever possible. Okay. Well, I just, you know, I was just curious because, you know, as... As uh, folks out there should know, that yours is the only podcast that will not attract the worm. Yeah, so you should be very careful in the studio. You know, the Shai Hulud has a mouth that can rival and uh, can consume entire spice harvesting co- uh, complexes in one gulp. So watch out, Wolfie. You're playing with fire. Well, that's why I like to be friends with you, because <laughs> you know, I don't want to attract the worm. <laughs> so what we are going to do today is we are going to discuss... A character we are forcing El Goro to come in and talk about a character that he despises with the burning intensity of a billion suns. El yep, Santo. Yep. yep, you've locked me into the uh, into the camel clutch or the La de Caballo, as uh, Santo would refer to it as the horse the horse grip, and uh, you're forcing me to do this. So, or, all right, if I must, or La Maestra Cradle, maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, this is uh, this is the part of the show where uh, we do our, our getting into character segment. Now, we subjected you to this last week, uh, mm-hmm. and I asked the questions, but now it is Agent Nicole's turn yes. to, uh, to pry some information out of you. So, Agent Nicole, why don't you, uh, why? you start off, if, uh, El Goro, if you're ready for this. Are you ready, El Goro? I'm as ready as I can be. All right, your first question. If you were to host a dinner party... Who would you? Who would be the five individuals you invite, dead or alive? All right. Well, the first one would obviously be my absolutely beautiful and wonderful girlfriend, Stephanie Wiley, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I would go uh, turn to some dead folks and bring in Vincent Price, uh, Stanley Kubrick. Turning onto live folks, we'll round it off with. Hmm. I wish. All right. I'll I'll go with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. And uh, Guillermo del Toro. Nice. That's, Very... a, that's a hell of a party. I know. Yeah. You'll be up uh, all if I, night. 
And if I had a s- room for a sixth, I'd just have... Uh, I'll tell you what, I will not attend the party. I'll just film it, and then we'll have Clive Barker <laughs> take my place. Nice. <laughs> All right, your second question. You are a wonderful film critic. Um, oh, well, I'm not a critic. I'm just a dude who likes movies. Well, you're fantastic at it. Um, your your second question is, what one film... Ha- oh, God, here. Now I'm, now I'm butching it up. Uh, what <laughs> is the one film that has a significant impact on your life? Hmm. Well, it's hard, it's hard to narrow it to just one, because I watch a lot of movies, and all of them have had greater and lesser impacts over the years. Mm-hmm. But... Hmm... I suppose uh, one that would would have had a transformative effect, and at least it's appropriate to this season, would be something like Beetlejuice, which mm-hmm. I, I discussed it when I uh, talked about it on the show, and I paired it up with Young Frankenstein. Both of those formed what I like to call the foundations of my horror fandom, yeah. because they w- provided a soft, safe introduction to horror aesthetics, and kind of hooked me on when I was a really young kid towards darker material. Mm -hmm. And that obsession continues on to this day, not only with my 31 days of Halloween, but also what I find to be aesthetically beautiful. I'm drawn to darker material, and I'm drawn to the aesthetics of horror. And if it weren't for those sorts of, as I said, soft introductions to them, where they took the foundations and aesthetics of horror and presented them in a way that a child could engage with, I don't know if I would be the horror fan that I am today. So whilst there's many films that I consider to be very important and had transformative impact on me as a human being, as far as uh, horror fandom goes, I'd, I'd point to something like Beetlejuice. Excellent choice. And that's a hell of an episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. I had fun with that one. All right, your third question. If you were not named El Goro, what would your new name be? Like if someone what? stole it. and now If you're somebody... Like- oh, well... If somebody stole Elagora, I'd, I'd be forced to fight them in a death match and uh, <laughs> and try to reclaim my uh, lineage. Um, if I didn't have El Goro, I couldn't use my real name, man, because I'd be giving up, you know, breaking kayfabe on that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've never thought about this. This is you're you're challenging my very identity here. I'm I'm being forced to come up with something different. I'll tell you what. I'll dip into the uh, origins of the gentleman we're going to be talking about today mm-hmm. and steal a name that he used to wrestle under uh, very, very briefly and be known as El Demonio Negro, the Black Demon. Nice. nice. Very good. All right, your fourth question. If you were to live in one country for one whole year, where would it be and why? Uh, it wouldn't be a country, because I don't think that it's actually listed as such, but it would be a continent. I would live in Antarctica, because I love the cold, I love the stark beauty of the landscape, and one of my major drives towards going into there, other than the visceral thrill that I will get from watching, uh, The Thing, actually, in Antarctica... (laughs) But when we think about the history of the world and the history of human habitation on the world, there are a scant few, maybe hundred, perhaps a thousand people, a drop in the bucket in the great sea of humanity that have actually set foot on Antarctica. Mm-hmm. It is, while it has been, it has uh, permanent human habitation with uh, bases like McMurdo and other outposts scattered throughout, it is still one of the last untamed areas 
and one of largely unexplored areas of the world. And to add my name to that very small list of people that have been there, that have lived there, mm-hmm. that, that has a great deal of appeal to me. Plus, you know, penguins and shit. <laughs> penguin shit? Yeah, penguin shit. King, <laughs> King penguin shit. Oh, God, I still need to watch that movie. <laughs> and your last question, it's a two-parter. So you're sentenced to death. So okay. Wow. Yeah, you're sentenced to death. Apparently you, get- you lost your death match. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that's the way I see going. My grandfather once told me that men in our family do not die of natural causes, <laughs> which is a very heavy thing to lay on an eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> so, first question of it would be, what would be your last meal? Mm-hmm. And the second one would be, what would be the last film you would want to watch? All right, last meal... Um, it would have to be something that uh, feels very homey, a kind of a comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I think it would simply be um, homemade macaroni and cheese with ten different kinds of cheese and a bl- mixed in about three different kinds of sausage. I was going to say, it's got to be German sausage. It's got to be. <laughs> uh, well, and I'd also go Polish because i throw some kielbasa in there as well. Nice. Yum. I think they're Polish. I don't know. Yes. It's, it's tasty regardless. And uh, I would I would pair that with the most expensive beer I can find, because fuck the state if they're going to be engaging in this barbaric practice of uh, capital murder. I have very strong political opinions. <laughs> Perfectly fine. As I alienate some of the people listening. Uh, and last film that I would watch... Ah, part of me wants to go something like as a fuck you to the whole circumstance and watch something like Green Mile or um, (laughs) Shocker or perhaps Fallen because there was that whole sequence in the beginning where he was being led to uh, the the death row while singing Time is on my side. I would like to think I would have the balls in order to pull something like that off. Uh, Probably wouldn't, though. Um, Hmm. I don't know what I would do. What I would watch in that final thing, if I could just watch one more movie, uh, I'll, go, I'll go with Conan the Barbarian because fuck it. <laughs> nice. Thank you for answering my questions. See, right, thank you. It, I would have thought that in the vein of like you know the fuck you to the state that you know, while it may not have been the most pleasant thing for you to ingest, you know something that. You know, to quote Homer Simpson, this cannon's going to be full when it goes off. <laughs> <laughs> Something that would create the biggest, the biggest uh, cleanup for the folks who have to remove me from uh, either the electric chair or the gas chamber or where I, wherever I happen to be. I don't know, macaroni and cheese and sausage, that could lead to some very powerful excrement. You got a lot of of starches in there, and you got a lot of rotting meat. Yeah, a lot. throw some spice in there, too, just to... uh, Liven things up. Well, you gotta gotta cover it in hot sauce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That shit on everything. Yeah, you can't have macaroni and cheese without hot sauce. I don't care who you are. Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that. Oh, that's good stuff. What would your uh, what would your uh, ten kinds of cheese be? I kind of I'm kind of <laughs> interested in that. I know. I was like, damn. Uh, incredible. Oh, I, I, now I'm gonna have to name ten cheeses. Shit. <laughs> Bonus I question. I think we're just gonna go with. Uh, I I prefer very very strong tasting cheeses. So the the sharpest cheddar imaginable. Um, probably throw some Swiss into there. Some blue. I don't know. I I, I would let them surprise me as long as there were ten. Okay. 
And right. as long as one of them was not American, because American cheese is an abomination. It's a it lie. It should not ever be ingested by anyone. It's more plastic than cheese. All right, so what we got here, we got you some elbow macaroni, and we uh, threw some craft singles on it. Is, uh... God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, would, that would be my last meal, regardless of whether or not I was on death row. Yeah. I'm like, fuck bet. it, I'm never eating again. They're lucky they put me on death row because I would murder a motherfucker for that. <laughs> <laughs> we we're going to give you some German sausage, but that's the worst. Yeah, it's done by Oscar Maya, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ashes, do you have any uh, any follow up questions like uh, like we did, or do you want to just uh, take a quick break and then we'll come back and just get right into? Uh, the uh, Santo discussion. Wait, putting me on the spot. I can see the glare yeah. from that you're giving to him. Like, fuck you for. Well, you know, did he, it get dark he in knows. here? Because I think there's a lot of shade. Oh, oh, the shade, the shade. Um, no, he knows that I don't really like being put on the spot. I mean, I do well when put on the spot, but I don't like it. And so he likes putting me in this position because mm-hmm. it's a slow form of torture. As opposed to the uh, slowest form of torture, which, which is, is being married matrimony. To you. Yes. <laughs> being married to you. <laughs> the irrevocable shackles of matrimony. I believe that's how I described it on our wedding day. I don't, I, I don't know if it's irrevocable. I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally, I know, a, I know a Canadian divorce lawyer. He hates his life. <laughs> I'd imagine so. Like, that doesn't sound like, you know, that's like the guy who says, you know what? I want to be a proctologist. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, but actually, it allows it allows him to buy a lot of exploitation movies. So you know, life's about balance. Yes. Could I ask a quick question of El Goro? Sure. You, How dare you? you may, El Goro. If you were, this kind of goes in hand with uh, one of the questions from last week's episode. If you were to re, let's say you're going to do a modern day El Santo movie. Yeah. Who would you cast to play El Santo? Ooh, that's a good one. Um it would have to be pulled from a, an actual wrestler, obviously. Yes. So we'd have to look at, um, uh, and obviously he would have to be of Hispanic descent because mm-hmm. we were not going to be whitewashing, whitewashing any sort yes. of those. Yeah, that, that <laughs> would just, just throw the rock in there. Well, if you ever wanted Mexico to declare war upon the United States, you'd pull some, some bullshit like that. Um, Matthew McConaughey as El Santo. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, S- S- Santo Jr. would just show up and, you know, butcher him. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know. It's... That's I mean, a hell of a question. There, there, there's definitely there's you could definitely go with any of his various sons, uh, you know, uh, Ijo da Santo or uh, Santo Junior, and the various people who've taken up the mantle over the years. Huh. I, I, I think I'll go with El Ijo da Santo. I mean, I think he's. They're actually planning on bringing him back for yeah. a, a series of movies now. And who would you choose to direct it? I think I know who you would choose, but... Uh, you, you know exactly who i choose. It'd be Guillermo del Toro. Of Come course, on. okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Either that or Robert Rodriguez, but del Toro. Definitely del Toro. Now, I don't know if you saw, but del Toro did in... I, I believe it was the second season of The Strain. Mm-hmm. He had a character, I think his name was Angel, if I remember correctly. and he yeah, was An- Angel del Plata. That's it, thank Angel. you. Yep. Yeah. And obviously, it's, a, it's an homage to, to Santo. And yep. he had that one, that one like there's a showing one of his films, and it looked fucking awesome. And Guillermo directed that part. He didn't direct that in episode, but he directed that part where it showed one of these old kind of El Santo style movies against against like a I think it was a vampire if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was 
Very cool. Definitely showing his uh, his love of it. So that that would be my choice as well. Oh, certainly. Yep. And it's it's one of those that I've whilst I've not seen the Strain television series, I need to get around to it at one point. I did see that clip because yes. I think as soon as it dropped, I had like ten people sending me that clip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of got the reputation of, hey, I'm the Santo guy. Yep. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> certainly not from your choice of helmetry. No, no. So I think uh, we'll take a quick break. And uh, we'll come back and we'll really delve into this, uh, you know, despite uh, all of uh, El Goro's uh, protestations to the contrary. We'll, uh, we'll get in and we'll talk about uh, El Santo. So, uh, yeah, let's head to break and then uh, we'll be right back. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. But we're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, not in the least. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios! And we have returned. I hope you didn't miss us too much. But uh, we're back now, so you can rest easy. Yeah, he played that promo from that one asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was kind of a dick. Yeah, he's kind of a dick. Um, but yeah, we are, uh, you know, since we, we have El Goro, we thought we'd, uh, you know, talk about El Santo because, you know, you know, like, uh, like you say in your show, it's uh, tangentially uh, tied together <laughs> by a common theme. Well, and if there wasn't a Santo, there wouldn't be a Goro. It's true. So if uh, for those of you who do not habla Espanol, uh, El Santo is uh, Spanish for the Santo. So, <laughs> the Saint. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I was channeling my, uh, my, my Chris Farley El Nino. Uh, yep. <laughs> for those of you who don't habla Espanol, El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. <laughs> They um, called it San Diego, which, of course, in Spanish means a whale's vagina. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, that's that's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, uh, you know, I'd never heard of this character prior to uh, listening to some trick-or-treat ep- uh, radio episodes and hearing... Uh, Dynamo talk about him, mm-hmm. and 
my uh, my mom who likes to go uh, up to the Cape, and there's uh, a, a a dump. It's literally a garbage dump, but they have a little place called the Gift House, and okay. occasionally she will bring back these hidden treasures that people dump uh, in the Gift House. And she came back one one time uh, with a bag of DVDs and handed them to me. And says, "I oh, hear I got you some of these movies. I don't know if you'd like them, but you know I got a whole bunch of them." And you know, going through them, one of them was the 25th anniversary of Cannibal Holocaust in wow. in, yeah. in pristine condition. <laughs> Thanks, which <was> mom. Like, <laughs> I saw Thanks. the co- I saw the cover, and I know you like the scary stuff like that, so I figured you might like this. I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> Where you gotta appreciate you the fact this? that your mother saw would have saw seen an image of a woman uh, impaled anus to mouth and thought that reminds me of my son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were some movies in there that I'd never heard of, but you know, you know, the 1966 Batman movie was in there, and an El Santo movie was in there, and I was like, oh, I've you know. Dynamo's talked about this. I'm like, hey, is this any good? He's like, oh, that's one of the best ones. And now, for the life of me, I can't remember which fucking one it was. Um, but I, you know, and then listening to 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 you, Gore, talk about you know, you know, the origin for for folks who don't know, why don't you uh, give them a little backstory about what El Santo has meant to you? Okay, well, I was first exposed to Santo when I was a very little kid, and I was living in Arizona. And I was flipping the channels one day, and I came across this uh, black and white wrestling match that was on uh, would have been like Telemundo, one of the one of the Spanish language channels. And I was a fan of wrestling, not not the biggest fan, you know, but I, I definitely watched it. Uh, my fandom of wrestling has waxed and waned over the years. Currently, we are in a very big waxing period. Um, that's what she said. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> So, you know, I settled in. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll watch a wrestling match. It was all in Spanish, but you don't need to really need to know uh, Spanish in order to understand what's going on in a wrestling match. And there was this, there was these two guys just rolling on the mats, and one was wearing what looked like a white mask. The other one was wearing what, looked, what was a black mask. And they're going, and all of a sudden, you know, the white mask guy pulls off the black guy's mask, the black mask, uh, whatever, <laughs> and it was, a were, it was a werewolf underneath. And it's like, this is the coolest thing ever. And it wasn't until later that I discovered that that was a scene from uh, Santo, Santo contra las mujeres vampiro, or Santo versus the vampire wom- women, or as American audiences would know it, Samson versus the vampire woman. And over the years, I started uh, trying to discover more and more what I could about Santo. It was the nascent days of the internet, but reinforced by you know seeing it, that movie pop up on Mystery Science Theater and occasional name drop of Santo, this sort of obsession was formulated up until the point that the name Santo became synonymous in my mind with Masked Wrestler. And when it came time for me to adopt my own luchador and mascarado persona of El Goro, I dipped into that love of Santo. That when I finally got my mask, it was the name became a portmanteau of two of my uh, two th- favorite things at the time: mass wrestling, Santo, and gory horror movies. So Gore, Santo, Goro. That's how I landed on my name. Excellent. Now I'd heard this story before on uh, the Unchained show, uh, where you were a guest, but I thought it was a fascinating story. So I just I wanted uh, our listeners. Uh, you know, I know there's some overlap, but I know I we have some listeners who may not listen to Unchained and you know may not be familiar with your backstory. And I just I thought that was a great 
fascinating story, and I, I really enjoyed uh, hearing you tell it. So I figured I'd make you tell it again, you know, on the, on the, uh, in the vein of, you know, making you do stuff you don't want to do today. <laughs> it's all good, man. Um, so we actually, uh, we were watching some clips because um, we, we just uh, did not have a chance to watch any full movies, so we were watching some of the clips. And we watched that exact clip that you were talking about, <laughs> and I was like, "This is fucking awesome!" <laughs> like, not only does, is he a werewolf, and like they're all fighting each other, and then all of a sudden he turns into a bat and flies away. I was like, "What is this? This is fantastically <laughs> absurd! I love this." Um, my first introduction to Santo was actually uh, Santo versus Cyclops. Okay. Where, uh, where he's he's fighting the Cyclops, and they just, like, he'll run at him, and the Cyclops kind of throws him down, and then it zooms in on the Cyclops' face, and he's kind of, like, laughing or growling or whatever, and they just keep showing that same reaction shot over and over again until he is uh, stabbed with a sharp stick. And it's, about right. It's just, it's, it's fantastic. Like, I love watching, you know, stuff like this that's so surreal and so fun. Well, it helps oh, yeah. that the the Cyclops monster kind of lo- looked like uh, it came from Sid and Marty Croft. So that definitely, <laughs> that definitely, that that aesthetic definitely helped. Um, but it was fun. It was just it, it, the the character of El Santo. Um, I I know this character from the Americanized Samson version, uh, thanks to Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Um, it's just it's just fun, fun movies. Yeah, I can I can definitely understand why they call him uh, Samson in the American version because that sounds better than the Saint. Well, yeah, and it's also tying into his prodigious strength, and you can it's phonetically similar enough to Santo that you can kind of line up the lips a bit. Yeah. Um. So why don't you uh, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, backstory about who Santo is and you know what his his origin story, so to speak. Okay, uh, this is going to be long, so uh, bear with me. Well, so now, that's, Santo, that's fine. <laughs> Santo was originally born in 1917 as Rodolfo Guzman Huerta, and he got into wrestling at around 1934. Now, his original appearances and gimmicks in wrestling, as it were, he went through several of them. He first appeared under the name Rudy Guzman, and then would uh, kind of jump around from persona to persona, including El Hombre Rojo, the Red Man, the aforementioned El Demonio Negro, and also El Murcielago 2, the Bat 2. Now, that got him into trouble with the original Bat, who was played by Jesus Velasquez, um, who basically uh, came at Guzman and said, hey, man, you really can't be taking my gimmick like this, and that sort of led into a later rivalry between them. But it wasn't until, I want to say, the 1940s or so, or 1950s, where he actually uh, got the name of Santo, where he was just part of this big uh, eight-man battle royale. He debuted as El Santo El Mascarado del Plata, otherwise known as uh, The Saint, The Silver Masked Man. And he just kind of really connected with the audience, that there was something about him that really spoke to people. And his popularity exploded at that point, and from that point on, he was just Santo. 
And his popular- popularity increased to the point that he it spun off a, a tremendously successful comic book series, which continued well into the 1980s, and then eventually kind of uh, transitioned into film work. Now, he wasn't the first uh, luchador to show up in films. In fact, at one point, they were going to make, this was in the 1950s, I believe, they were actually going to make uh, El Mascarado de Plata movie, the, you know, the Silver Masked Man movie, and Santo passed on being in it, that he didn't feel that uh, films were going to be all that popular, he w- didn't feel that you know he was go- it was going to be a good use of his time. However, those films were su- tremendously uh, successful. And in in addition to that, we had the neutron films, which were kind of blurred the line between a holly or a Mexican film industry creation uh, and actual wrestlers. And eventually, Santo kind of transitioned into being in films himself and had a film series that ran from 1958 to 1982. <laughs> there were 52 Santo films that he appeared in. And I've seen and talked about all of them. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun little year. My El Año del Santo, as I uh, devoted an entire year of episodes to covering each and every one of his films. But yeah, uh, in addition to uh, it was that combination of his film presence, his comic book presence, and of course his uh, in ring appearances that turned him into. In my opinion, the most iconic wrestler in the world. I mean, when you talk about cultural pre- penetration, which is not a porno, and you talk about, <laughs> when you talk about the importance of, of various wrestlers in the communities and the countries that spawned them, Santo has to be part of that conversation because in Mexico, he was so much more than a wrestler. He was a pop culture icon. He was a folk hero. He became tied to the Mexican national identity at the height of his popularity. And when we look at that compared to other countries, we really don't have something that's analogous to that in the United States. We've had some tremendously successful wrestlers in the past. Hulk Hogan was a hugely popular character. Regionally, you'd have these great figures like your Ric Flair's who traveled around or your Dusty Rhodes. But as far as having a figure that was tied into actual national identity. Hulk Hogan comes close, but it doesn't really touch uh, how successful Santo was. To find somebody that was kind of analogous, you'd have to go to Japan in the 50s and start looking at characters like Ricky Dozan, which we actually uh, talked about on the show. Wolfie was on that show where we talked about the biopic of Ricky Dozan. And he's just this hugely influential man and had a rather interesting life. And there's a lot to talk about him. Yeah. And I'm quite a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, all kidding aside, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's why we, we wanted to, you know, discuss this with you because, you know, again, you know, for folks who are listening for the first time, you know, part of our, our mission is to, you know, find characters that, you know, we're not familiar with. You know, it's not just talking about characters that we love. It's finding people who, you know, maybe like something that's outside of the mainstream, you know, not just, you know, you know, like Batman and Superman, you know, or, you know, The Simpsons or something like that. You know, we want to find people who have characters that they love that maybe no one's ever heard of, you know, like, you know, the Doc Savages of the world, the Santos of the world, 
you know, so that's that's really why you know we wanted to have you on because you know you're like this is your wheelhouse, like this is your dude, you know, <laughs> to, to, a little bit to, to quote Raven Shadow, that's um, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's nice to kind of like bring these characters into the mainstream because you know. Again, I was unfamiliar with it. Like the three of us here, we're completely unfamiliar with them. And like watching some of this stuff, it's like this is really fun. And I can definitely see how like a young kid, you know, you know, you describing, you know, your first, you know, interaction with with this character on TV, and it's like holy shit! Like I love this mass wrestling, and the, holy, oh my god, that guy's a werewolf! Like holy shit, that's so cool! <laughs> like I was watching it, I was trying to figure out what like. I'm like, oh, I'm just watching this clip. I'm probably not going to get the reference. He's going to take the mask off, and it's going to be like some guy from earlier. It's going to be like a Scooby-Doo reveal, and he's he's the guy who runs the haunted amusement park. And then he takes the mask off, and it's like, oh, my God, it's a fucking werewolf. Like, that's so amazing. <laughs> and you really can't understate the importance that these films had in Mexico at the time because – during this period, unlike in the States, I mean, most people, when they they encounter wrestling, they'll do so on television, you know, whether it be WWF, WCW, or some of the regional promotions. But during this time, wrestling was actually banned on Mexican television. That ostensibly is because it had a corruptive influence on the youth. And part of that actually had to do with Santo, because despite his heroic persona in the films and in the comic books, for a great deal of Santos' career, he was what was known as a rudo, or what we would call in the States a heel. He was a bad guy. He fought dirty. He uh, would uh, go with kind of low bows and everything like that. But he still was tremendously popular. I mean, if you wanted to compare him to a more modern wrestler, you can almost compare him to a Stone Cold Steve Austin, who wrestled like a bad guy but was embraced like a good guy. Right, and it wasn't fair. until it wasn't until years later that he kind of transitioned into the role of a technico, where uh, he was a babyface. He fought more in a more technical, honorable style. But for the majority of his actual in-ring wrestling career, Santo was a rudo. He was a bad guy. But anyway, because of the popularity of Santo and guys like him, and because of some political motivations that rose in, uh, Mexico has a long history of political corruption. And one of the last things they would want is people uh, kind of standing up for their rights with violence. So some people theorize that's why Lucha Libre, which translates into free fighting, but also can be translated into free struggle – that there was a theory that's why it was banned from television because they didn't want people to get certain political ideas. But because it was banned from television, the only way you could see wrestling was either seeing when the promotions would tour through your town or through these films, which is one of the interesting things when you watch these movies, you'll have a plot. And the plots can be incredibly varied. Santo wore a lot of different hats over his uh, iconic mask. He's been a spy. He's been a monster hunter. He's been all sorts of things. It basically, you could take almost any sort of adventure story and just plop Santo into it. And that's what you got in the majority of these movies. But they would be interrupted. The plots would just kind of uh, be put on hold for a moment to have a wrestling match. 
And the wrestling is very old style. If you are watching modern day Lucha Libre or any kind of modern day wrestling, you'll think it's very slow. You'll think it's very basic. But that was the style of the time. And they were shown almost in their entirety. And for some people that's not versed in this sort of storytelling or doesn't know the history, I've heard it compared to almost like the uh, the sex scenes in a uh, old porno that the plot was just put on hold and we're going to focus on the flesh for a while. Yeah, that's a that's a fair analogy, um, yeah. but even you know, you know I you know I uh, like you my my interest in wrestling you know comes and goes, um, but you know when I was a kid I used to watch it all the time and you know seeing you know the the scene where he fights the uh, werewolf man, you know like it's like yeah maybe it wasn't choreographed the way you know maybe something today would be choreographed you know like you know you don't have as many cameras so you can't switch the angles fast enough so you can, you know, like the way the guys are hitting each other, it doesn't really look all that authentic. Mm-hmm. But it was so fun and, like, reminds me of some of these old matches that, you know, I used to watch as a kid when it was, you know, usually a B-level star against some jobber they probably grabbed out of the audience you know, because you would never see Hulk Hogan fight on Saturday afternoon wrestling. It just didn't happen. They saved him for one of the four pay-per-views a year, not one of the 25 pay-per-views each year. You know, it was it was a treat to even see him do a promo. So, like, that type of thing is, uh, is, is you know, very nostalgic to me. Yeah. And there's still some people that feel that this style of wrestling is a more pure thing, that because it looked more grounded, that it felt like a fight. You know, you didn't have people doing crazy hurricanes over it. I could, I could uh, embrace any different style. Um, I don't necessarily need it to be as flashy, but I still love it when it is. I mean, one of my favorite wrestling promotions to this day is Lucha Underground, which is on the El Rey Network. And there are some people that despise the style of wrestling that's on Lucha Underground because it is very showy, because it is breaking the reality of it being an actual fight. But to me, it's just fantastic to watch, and the storylines that they integrate into it. Oh, it's so good! Yeah, see, if you're if you're someone who's only uh, you know versed in like you know the WWE, which I still think of as a WWF. I don't, <laughs> sure. I don't care. I do too. Um, you know, and you see something else, you don't understand like like the story aspect in some of these other like federations, for lack of a better word. The storylines are more important. Like, it's almost like a soap opera. It's almost like, you know, it's a show. And the wrestling is, you know, secondary. I mean, not, not secondary, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, it's, it's part of it. But, you mm. know, the story is so much more important, you know, and the, the wrestling is just the way that they, you know, resolve their conflicts. Well, the funny thing is, is that at least the, one of the criticisms that gets leveled against WWE these days is that a lot of times the wrestling is subordinate to the storylines that they are trying to tell. And a lot of people will have issue with the storylines. that A lot of them are not particularly well constructed. Lucha Underground, in my opinion, it's it completely throws the idea of realism out the window. The storylines involve resurrected gods and reincarnated dragons and the whole mystery of, tw- of uh, seven ancient Aztec tribes that are all fighting for the soul of the world. It's so over the top. They bit pretty much said, okay, 
the WWE is going to do this pseudo reality thing where they'll blend the lines between what is their fiction and what is what is the real life conflicts of these char- of these uh, actors and characters, and does so in a very strange way. We're just essentially going to make an exploitation movie and have wrestling in it. Which, and it's it's wrestling on some of the highest levels. Some of the best performers alive today are currently wrestling with Lucha Underground. And I don't I don't care what you say. Um, Ricochet slash Prince Puma, he is one of the best wrestlers alive today. Can I get an amen, Wolfie? Amen! Sorry, I had, He's the, not listening. <laughs> no, I had the mic up and, and off. Uh, amen. There you go. <laughs> I, I, I'll use this, this, uh, this moment to just say that it's funny because he was never always that good. He was uh, he was he was actually another masked wrestler in Jakarta, n- known as Helios. Mm-hmm. I would say in two thousand seven, eight, nine, and he really worked his ass off to become to become who he is right now. And and who he is right now is one of the best wrestlers in the world. But back then, he was just a high flyer that you know did some cool stuff, did a couple high spots. But now, absolutely, I think he's one of the best. And I, you know, obviously, I he. I don't know what his background is, but when I ask you the question about who should play El Santo, he would be one of my picks without thinking about nationality or anything like that. I could see that. Because I think he could absolutely pull it off. I think the only reason I didn't end up, because I I did consider him in that role, but I think the only reason I didn't um, go with it is because his style is more over the top than the clubbing style that Santo tends to employ. Right, and and I think that that's more, I mean, certainly not to say anything against your answer, but I think that's more uh, for this day and age, you know, how they remake movies and sure, kind of yeah. do them in, in kind of a new light. I think that would add more of a kind of flashy, maybe a little bit more cocky aspect to him. I could definitely see that, yeah. Yeah, it would be like the, uh, you know, the difference between the lightsaber fights of the original trilogy and the lightsaber fights we got in the second trilogy of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, even even the people that have a slightly more grounded style in Lucha Libre, because they're not all high flyers, they're not all, you know, really small guys. But if you look at guys like uh, Chavo Guerrero, the way he wrestles these days, it's still more technical than what the old guys were doing, but not nearly as technical as guys like Ricochet. Right, definitely, for sure. Yeah, I love Chavo. Yeah, I think he, he gets overlooked too much. Absolutely. Nicole, you look like you have something to say. I have a question. So for someone who's not familiar with any of this, um, El Santo has done, you said 52 films, correct? Yes, he's appeared in 52 films. Which would be your top five films that would like best bring out the character for someone who doesn't know Uh, anything? My absolute favorite one, and it's a sympathetic favorite, but it's also one that I think is very well constructed, is Santo Contra Las Mujeres Vampiro, which we talked about before. It was brought in stateside as uh, Samson versus the vampire women. Mm -hmm. But that kind of becomes the prototypical example of how these films are constructed. Because so much of the Santo movies, because again, they made 52 of them. Sometimes they were releasing as many as five a year. Mm -hmm. A lot of the plots are very samey. And there are a lot of films that sort of follow the example that was set up, oddly enough, not in Las Mujeres Vampiro, but another film, which was Santo Contra uh, Los Zombies, where 
the the plots are very samey and a lot of times he's just kind of coming in as the ass-kicking MacGuffin to face off these uh, supernatural enemies. They will usually have some sort of character that uh, comes in under the guise of being in uh, another wrestling opponent for him, but then it's revealed to be some sort of supernatural entity. A lot of them will follow the same pattern. So if you're going to engage with that, um, Las Mujeres Vampiro, I think they pulled it off the best. From there, it's good to kind of look into his uh, super spy films. He did a lot of one of them when he was basically James Bond. And there were a duo of films that he did in 1966 called Aparacion 67 and El Tesoro de uh, Moctezuma, where, again, it's him just playing a the role of a... Um, of a super spy and it's uh, tied into a lot of Mexican national identity and nationalism and they're just ridiculous films I mean they are they are so over the top there's so much goofy shit that happens in those movies that they are a true joy to watch and then from there you, you kind of want to expand it to some of his crossover movies because Santo wasn't uh, necessarily existing in a vacuum and one of the best crossovers that he did is oddly enough a film that he's only uh, in in the climax, it's much more of a showcase for two other luchadors, and that's uh, Las Momias de uh, Guanajuato, where primarily it is a film featuring Blue Demon, who during this period would have been the second most popular luchador, or at least Emascarado. His popularity almost uh, hits Santos, but doesn't quite doing it. And then another wrestler that had the most crossover appeal. This was a character that was able to travel into the States and even uh, wrestled very uh, from time to time in the WWF at the time. He was uh, famously eliminated himself in the Royal Rumble, and that is Mil Mascaras, who his whole gimmick is he is the man of a thousand masks and oddly and uh, arguably had the best physique out of all of them. Mil, he looked like an Adonis, yeah. but he was a very cool wrestler, though if you talk to the guys who wrestled with him, a colossal prick. <laughs> <laughs> that is worth mentioning. Mil, he, he only existed to make sure that he was the coolest, most badass person in the world. Going into business for himself. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, those were, that's where I would direct people. If you want Supernatural, go with Las Mujeres Vampiro. Mm -hmm. If you want hit uh, Super Spy, you'd go with Aparacion 67 and El Tesoro de Moctezuma. And if you want a team-up, which it's always fun to do a team-up mm -hmm. with Santo, you do uh, Las Momias de Guanajuato. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Speaking of uh, team-ups and over-the-top crazy shit... Uh, I would be remiss if we did not bring up the uh, Turkish film that we were discussing <laughs> off air. That Three we, Mighty Men. We we saw this clip and I was like, "What the hell?" I'm like, "I have to check this out." It's a clip that's on YouTube and it is Santo and Captain America versus Spider Man. But it's yep. not just one Spider Man. There's like four of them that are just in this scene. <laughs> Um, oh, there's a lot of Spider-Man in that movie. <laughs> so and he's a he's a creepy rapist. It's weird. Yeah, we are uh, we are not overly familiar with this. We just saw this fight scene where Santo comes out carrying carrying the Spider-Man over his shoulder, and he sees Captain America, and Captain America has also just defeated a Spider-Man. Uh, can you can you give folks a little bit of background on this because? Uh, oh man, how to explain <laughs> Turkey? Uh, right, here's the thing. Turkey does not recognize copyright. 
so they will just take whatever the fuck they want and they're I, I'm not as versed in Turkish cinema as some but they liked a lot of hyperkinetic badassery in their in their movies not too different than what we were experiencing here so essentially what they were doing was they were just taking characters that were popular Santo had a, a little bit of a following in Turkey because they were importing some of the films and obviously they were brought in, bringing in Captain America and Spider-Man was w- well known there so they basically was just like alright we're going to take these characters that people know and then we're going to do our own thing with them and that's how you ended up with uh, th- the three mighty men that's uh that <laughs> it was definitely crazy and like the fight scene I really, really want to watch that whole film cuz that was funny like uh, well it starts off with with Spider-Man I'm using finger quotes Spider-Man <laughs> trying to kill a woman who's buried in the sand and he takes like the like the engine from like a rope uh, from a boat and like pushes it right into her face oh yep <laughs> that's the beginning of the movie that's typical Spider-Man Damn. yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people will talk about their various uh, parodies that they do, or let's be fair, total ripoffs of copyright that they do. So you have Turkish Star Wars, Turkish Exorcist, <laughs> Turkish Evil Dead. One of my favorites was the one that Wolfie introduced me to, which was Death Warrior. Right, which which is, that is technically Turkish Evil Dead, even though it has it, nothing to do with it. Is that? All right. Yeah. Got it. The thing is, you got to understand when going into the Turkish films they don't make uh, movies like regular human beings. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least back then. That, yeah, I mean, it's it's def- there's definitely better examples of it. But when you're engaging with these sorts of exploitation movies from the '70s and the '80s, just put your brain on hold because if you try to parse out what is actually happening in these movies, it makes zero fucking sense. Yeah. But there's a lot of fun to be had in them. Turkish Star Wars, they they steal scenes directly from Star Wars. And I, if I remember correctly, Indiana Jones, it's basically like a who's who of like 80s cinema, and they just rip it off and, and use footage in their movie. It's it's ridiculous. Now, I mean, if, you, if you've ever read fan fiction written by a 13-year-old boy, that's essentially <laughs> what's going on in yeah. those movies. You're, you're on to something, yeah. Well, it's funny. You guys, uh, you guys did Turkish Star Wars on uh, Trick or Treat Radio. Yeah. And... You know, at the time, I was like, what the hell is this? So I yeah. tried looking up, you know, like some promotional artwork, and I actually came across one with, you know, it said Turkish Star Wars, and it had all the names in the, of the of the actors that were in the film, uh-huh. but it was essentially the poster for Spaceballs. Oh, my God. <laughs> which I thought that sounds was about right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Sounds about right, definitely. Um, yeah, this has been, like, a hell of a fun conversation. Like, you know, and I know, Goro, you love... You know, talking about Santo and wrestling, and you know, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely enjoying this. Like, this has been like a really fun couple of couple of shows that we've done together. Like, you know, I know we've only been on this is only our twentieth episode, but why the hell did we wait so long to have you on? I, I don't know. You, you didn't know ask. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. And save the la- best for last. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, despite you know your your. Uh, very uh how do i uh, you're a very respectful you're a very uh uh you're a great guy you really are oh, thanks um, brother you can be intimidating at times uh, i'm sorry <laughs> well no no it's not not so much like you know you're you know like imposing or anything but it's like uh the first time i ever interacted with you on elm street kids we were doing the uh, aliens episode 
Mm, yeah, and, yeah, that was that was the first time, wasn't it? Yeah, and I was uh, very intimidated because you know I'm, you know, like I know Mars has been doing this forever, but like I've known Mars for damn near two decades, so you know that was no big deal. And but like to be on a, a podcast with you know you and I believe Stephen Scarlatta was also on that. Like I was very intimidated. I, I believe I, I voiced that. Uh, that off air and you were just like no man everybody's got a voice you're the only one that sounds like you and you're the only one who has your voice no one else can be you and like you put me at ease so quickly and i was just like this dude is fucking awesome like i'm like why was i like because i was concerned i was like man you know i'm not you know i'm not really part of the podcast community like this guy's been doing this forever like you know i had no idea like what it was going to be like, you know, doing a show with you. And you were just, like, the most chill guy. You were so awesome. And I was very excited. You know, uh, we finally got to meet at Rock and Shock. And, you know, I walk up, and you're like, Patsy. And you just give me a huge hug. And it was, like, it was it was awesome. So I just want to say thank you for being such a, a, a cool dude. Well, thank you, man. I mean, you guys, you, you're kind of sleeping on yourself. But you guys are awesome, awesome people. And you have an incredible show as well. You were able to kind of hit the ground running and find your own identity very, very quickly, which is very one of the hardest things as a podcaster of finding that voice, that thing that is quintessentially you, and that thing that I find has the most value in podcast listening. You know, as I'm fond of saying, there's a million and a half people that do what we do, and the only thing you can really bring to the table is yourself because nobody can really do it like you because they're not you. And I, uh, that's what I find the most compelling out of, uh, out of the podcasts I listen to when people have their own identity. And if they can provide inf- interesting information, you know, that's perfectly fine. But there's a lot of sources for information out there. You can read a book. I have lots of them. But to see it, that interaction between the things that I love, the things that you love, and the impact that it's had on your life, what you are bringing to the table, to me, that is where it has tremendous value. And I think you guys are fucking killing it every goddamn week. Well, thank you very thank much. You. That means a lot coming from you. Um, yeah, I will. I do want to bring up one thing, though, that, uh, you know, because we, we did, we mentioned our, our favorite memories of uh, Rock and Shock. And uh, one of my favorite, and I believe I I mentioned this a couple of times, I don't know if I mentioned it on air, though, was uh, getting to see you and uh, our good friend from Atomic Age Media, uh, Jeremy McFarlane, meet for the first time. Oh, hell yeah, man. I know you guys had been interacting for many, many years, you know, digitally. Uh, You know, I loved the story about, uh, you know, you giving him dating advice. Which I still think is hilarious, but (laughs) it, it, it worked out. Yeah, it worked out, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, for those of you who weren't there and don't know the story, Jeremy uh, was very nervous about meeting you, you know, because he had only interacted with you, you know, digitally. Sure. And, uh, you know, when he walked up to you, he stuck his hand out and you just completely ignored it and bear hugged the man. <laughs> and that was maybe my favorite moment of Rock and Shock, you know, getting to nice see that. To see. Because, you know, I talk about it all the time about the how the podcast network has brought people together, um, you know, you know, getting a chance to, you know, meet you and Stephanie. You know, the fact that you and Stephanie have, you know, made your connection, mm-hmm. you know, like all the people that we've met through the podcasting, you know, family, you know, through, 
you know, through Elm Street, we met Chris McGibbon, and through Chris McGibbon, we met, you know, Kex, and Kex is, Kex, Kex is, is fucking, awesome. Oh he he brings Nicole out of her shell more than anyone <laughs> I have ever met. She just she, gravitates she, yeah, to him. She gets snap happy. She really does. But you know, and that's that's what's so great about this community is you know we have such a, a huge you know, families, I mean, that's really the only word we can use to describe it because that's, you know, how we all are together. Like, it's, it was, you know, going to Uno's after Rock and Shock was like, you know, a family reunion dinner. Like, it was just, it was awesome. Like, and, you know, that was definitely my favorite Rock and Shock. It was definitely my, uh, probably my favorite Deadite show because of everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. I'm trying you not know. to get emotional over here. I know, Nicole's wiping her eyes over there. Um, well, and it's the thing I love about this whole thing because, uh, as I mentioned on my you know rundown of the of Rock and Shock, so much of what I do uh, during podcasting is a very solitary endeavor. You know, when I started doing it, I had a co-host. We went for a few years, and then he just wasn't digging it anymore. So I just kept going on my own because I was having fun. And when you get yourself locked into recording by yourself, watching movies by yourself, you sometimes lose track that you know people are actually listening to this. And that you're making these beautiful connections all over the world. And to me, that's where the greatest value of this comes comes out. It's not just me yelling into the void and talking about the things I like. The way I like to think of it is, hey, this is stuff I love. Hey, guys, come and look at this. And that's where I find so much value in it. And it gets reinforced at conventions. And it gets reinforced in the conversations I get to have with people. I mean, the reason I go to conventions is not to meet a celebrity. It's not to pick up things. Because, yeah, I mean, it could be kind of cool to look over and it's like, wow, there's Michael McDowell in the flesh. He's much shorter than I thought. Yeah. Or <laughs> look, look at this cool thing I bought that I could have conceivably bought anywhere, especially with the internet. The value of, of conventions is to meet other people that are like me or you know, this little community, this family. And I think that's one thing that you know we should give a great deal of props to you, uh, Wolfie, and your other fine folks over at Trick or Treat Radio, that you have built this incredible community. All of these disparate people coming together under the umbrella of listening to Trick or Treat Radio, that I think is the best contribution that can possibly be made, in addition to the incredibly good uh, pr- podcasts that you put out that are very entertaining from week to week. All of the people that have come together and that have expanded my life, I mean, it's one of those things I'm tremendously grateful for. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And we obviously, I would like to say, like, oh, we, we, you know, we architected the whole thing. We knew this was going to happen, but sure. we had no clue. Like, we just did our thing and... You know, and then it just kind of happened, and and it's really awesome that so many amazing people are are friends now, and you know, like 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 Mars always says, like it doesn't go more than a few hours when when he and I don't talk in that group chat that we have going, you know, with with uh with you and and Coop and and with Jakey Poo, you know, the and, continuing the continuing legend that is the five Hossmen. That's right. <laughs> so like you guys are like probably closer friends than than i've had you know with people that i know in person you know so Mm -hmm. it's it definitely transcends you know the medium and and it's it's just a great way for people to 
to meet that may not have met otherwise because of you know geographical differences you know yeah I mean, but i mean even if it wasn't your intention you've still put a lot of energy into fostering this kind of community and yeah. i i think you've done a great job at that i mean hell just look as as it's expanded out onto throwdown thursday and then the little communities that have built up around there i mean there's a it's a shared pool but there's definitely a different vibe in the conversations that occur on the throwdown thursday either the podcast or the group yeah. or on elm street kids i mean they're all just kind of finding their own little identity which i love yeah, absolutely. And that's and I think that's the great thing about it. There there's common, you know, there's a lot of uh you know, common interests, but but each show has their own thing, which which I think is great. And you know, I'm glad that, you know, I once again certainly didn't didn't foresee it happening that way, but I I love that there's uh, enough of a difference to, you know, kind of differentiate each show from each other and yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great thing that happened, and like you said, it, it certainly wasn't planned. But the fact that it's it's maintaining and, and able to to continue rolling on is 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 really awesome. And you know, we do put a lot of time and effort into it for sure. And uh, well, you haven't left the studio in three years. So. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I don't get paid to do this either. So <laughs> I pay for rent, and that's it. But there you uh, go. Maybe one day. But you no, know, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's it's awesome, and it's very nice of you to. To, to recognize that and, and to call it out. And I was going to wait till the end of the show, but I'll, I'll say this right now is if people are out there, aren't listening to talk without rhythm, uh, you guys got to, got to tune in because honestly, oh girl, I have no idea how you do it. I, I would never be able to do a one man show. Never. And I've seen you grow over the years that I've known you, you know, from, from you used to have a lot of guests on, you know, each sure. week you'd have like someone else, and I think you got more confident in, in your ability to do it. And I almost, not that I don't, I, I like when you have guests on, but I almost prefer when it's just you because I know I'm going to get an awesome El Goro monologue at the beginning of the show, which I think a lot of people now are looking forward to those almost more than the film reviews at, at times. <laughs> and, you know, even if it's a film that I don't, you know, I haven't seen or I don't care about or didn't like or whatever, like, there's always something to glean from from those conversations and so you know and and you are definitely one you know obviously you're not the longest running show out there there's there's some other shows that have been doing it longer but oh but, fuck yeah shout out shout out to bill yeah yeah and outside Chris. the cinema night of living podcast those are two that i know in uh ggtmc you know i've been doing it for a long time but your consistency is 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 unheralded and and it's you know it's it's awesome, and uh, you know, glad to call you my friend and my podcasting buddy. And I feel like we're all getting very, very intimate here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't the normal direction of the show. I, know. I already started power, crying. This is the power of Santo; it brings everybody together. <laughs> exactly yeah. that. That's a true testament, right there, folks. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just wanted to, you know, uh, express my uh, gratitude for you know how cool you've been to us. Uh, not just, you know, for the show, but like, you know, individually, you know, now that we have you on, you know, because, you know, I do really appreciate it. And, you know, it's one of those, you didn't have to take the time and, you know, yeah. you didn't have to do all this stuff, but you did and you did it, you know, without any thought of reciprocation, which, you know, we really appreciate and it really means a lot to us. So oh, you guys didn't get his, uh, his, his invoice in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I must have the wrong address, Algoro. Yeah, I have to try it again. <laughs> that was still hilarious when Mars tried to pay me 
after uh, the uh, show. It's like, fuck off, you bastard. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the same same situation between you and I. We gave you guys that bottle of wine. You're like, how much was it? And I'm like, oh, it was this much. And you try like open up your wallet. I'm like, get the hell out of here. No. <laughs> no, this was a gift from us to you because we wanted to. So There you go. And I also want to get, uh, give a special notice to Nicole and Ashes and how much I like the fact that you are represented under here. Because unlike so many other things on the, the kind of geekosphere, it can, even in podcasting, can become very much of a boys club. And I think that the contributions that you make on this show, the perspective that you bring, extending even further, of course, onto uh, the very lovely Stephanie Wiley, you guys have a, percep- uh, a perspective that is different, and it comes, obviously, from a different place, different learned life experiences. And I think you guys are fucking killing it as well, and you should be commended for that. Thank you. Thank you. you first Thank of all, you, Nicole <laughs> is just... Nicole is sobbing. Nicole is sobbing right I'm sorry. now. She is just... The, the water is flowing. Oh, now I She's feel just, bad. No, no, don't no, no. Feel bad. It's really nice. Sorry, I'll um, stop chopping those onions, Nicole. I shouldn't be doing that during the episode. It's, it's wrong of me. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for those kind words. Um, I, it's easy to kind of feel overshadowed sometimes. Um, you know, uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you big jerk. <laughs> Come on, Nicole. You're motherfucking ironborn. <laughs> I know. Fuck. No, it's it's really nice, especially really nice words coming from you. And oh, I I'm fucking mess. <laughs> well, I think I think this would be a good time to take a quick break. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. and uh, everybody can comport themselves and compose themselves and recombobulate themselves. And uh, yeah, let's let's do a quick break. We'll yes, be back in a couple please. minutes. Trick or Treat Radio is a phantasmagorical spin kick straight through the heart of pop culture, navigated by the Deadites. We are the world's greatest electroshock band, we destroy monsters, we drink booze, and we win championship belts. If you're not listening to Trick or Treat Radio, here's a taste of what you've been missing. There's three guarantees in life. What are they? Death, taxes, and Trick or Treat Radio every Friday morning. This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life. I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. It's like you took a shit on a pile of shit. But you shit on him right. for liking what he likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs> it's me, Giovanni Lombardo Radici. Shut up. I call bullshit. I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Okay. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait. Is she a great big fan person? You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action. It had suspense. It had great characters. It had great acting. I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts. I don't like mobster movies. All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. box, right? The box and the monkey. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and trickortreatradio.com. And we have uh, we've now returned. Nicole's doing much better. Yeah, as we can hear from the the aforementioned Jeremy McFarland, Nicole is Ironborn, and uh, 
sworn to throw down and to protect the realm. <laughs> when I'm not a crying mess. <laughs> you're not crying. You're just uh, summoning the salt of the sea. <laughs> yeah. Best way to sum that up. <sighs> well, this has been a very fun uh, conversation, both uh, El Santo and then the mushy show of emotion at the end here. Um <laughs> I want to thank you very, very much, Elgora, for yes, being on. Thank you. Absolutely, we got to get you on talk without rhythm. Ooh, yes, that would so be. So start, start brainstorming what two movies you want to talk about. Oh, we'll I make will. that happen. Excellent. No, no, don't let him pick. <laughs> oh don't let him no. pick, please. Coro, for the love of God. How do you feel about shark movies? <laughs> no. How do you feel about horrible shark movies? Shark alarm! Shark alarm! Um. <laughs> uh, so what we're going to do, we're going to do a little, uh, our, our, our normal closing, but, uh, Ilgora, would you like to, uh, you know, maybe, uh, promote something you got coming up, you know, maybe a show you got coming up, maybe a specific episode for folks who are unfamiliar with you, something that, you know, maybe, uh, would be a good jumping off point to get into Talk Without Rhythm? Um, well, unfortunately, I had to uh, downside what is publicly available to a lot of folks because I had a big server move and I wasn't able to make everything freely available anymore. So about the first six years of Talk Without Rhythm are uh, only available to my Patreon subscribers. Which I am. But, oh, thank you. I, I definitely appreciate that. It helps uh, keep the lights on, to borrow a phrase from <laughs> Michael Raven Shadow there. But uh, as far as what's coming up now... It always feels like a weird sort of lull after October, because by the time this this drops, I will have been um, well past the October season. It's weird kind of recalibrating my mind back onto uh, just regular weekly podcasting. But um, by the time this would have been released, we would have been in my uh, digging into my Criterion Collection pickups. So the first the first episode I'm doing of the November uh, is The Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, two Guillermo del Toro flicks. Oh, man. That, uh, I'm looking forward to that, especially I since I just, I, I just picked up that awesome Criterion uh, trilogy of Guillermo del Toro. So that's going to be a fun episode. And then the episode that will be upcoming as far as uh, from when this is dropped would have been another Criterion pick, and it's going to be two Lone Wolf and Cub movies, Baby Cart at the River Styx and Baby Cart to Hades. That's See, this is another reason why you need to get into Bob's Burgers. Oh, my God, I <laughs> love I Bob's watched, I, I watched that episode, oddly enough. The uh, Hawk and Chick? Yes, uh, Miss Wiley uh, directed me to it when I talked about the first Lone Wolf and Cub. That was the on, first thing uh, I thought for, of. For Patreon. And I, I told uh, I told Ashes about that. I was like, "Holy shit! These are based on real things. Like this is awesome." Very much so. I don't have the rest of the month planned out, but those two are uh, scheduled to do. I uh, I recommend one of my my favorite episodes was the uh, the one you uh, mentioned earlier was the the Beetlejuice and uh, Young, Young Frankenstein. Frankenstein because mm. you know a lot of the stuff you talked about with Young Frankenstein, you know, you were. You know, basically talking about my experiences watching it as a kid. So it was, uh, it was, uh, had a very nostalgic feeling to, to, uh, to that show. So that's what I would recommend to folks because I really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. And as far as the, uh, monologue bits have gone, the one that seems to have gotten the most response from folks, um, was the Rosemary's Baby Ninth Gate episode I did, where I kind of tried to parse out my complicated feelings about Roman Polanski. And the 
the ability that w- we have or don't have that sort of cognitive dissonance of separating the art from the artist. Yeah. Well, I was gonna. I, I thought you were gonna mention a different one, which uh, also. <laughs> well, there, uh, there was the other one. That's your jerking rock and shock oh my uh, God. monologue. Yes. I remember. I was listening to that, and I ran up to Patrick, and I was like, "And I have an issue." And he's like, "What's wrong?" And I was like, "I just listened to El Goro's monologue, and I'm crying." <laughs> mm-hmm. Not as not as much as she was just a few minutes ago, but Aww. it was it was significant, and uh, you know. I had Ashes listen to it too, and you know she was rather moved. Yeah, thank you for making me show emotion in <laughs> <laughs> at work of all places. Oh, I know yeah. at work. So, uh, what we're gonna do? We're gonna do uh, a quick wrap up. We'll uh, I'll do my science fact. We'll do the Von Nightmare Vineyard, and then we'll do the Agent Nicole files. Sweet. And then we'll give a little preview of next week. Next week is going to be very interesting. So, for my science fact today, uh, I had a couple of things here that I was I was looking at, and a couple of things that I was trying to uh, decide between. And uh, I decided to go on a uh, space fact because I most of mine are space facts, and I fucking love space stuff. Um, are you wearing space pants? Because your ass is out of this world. Oh yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, for people who are unfamiliar with what a rogue planet is, a rogue planet is a planet that uh, is not caught in the gravitational uh, hold of a star and it's just kind of floating through space much the same way a, uh, an asteroid would. Um, and scientists have estimated that there are twice the number of rogue planets as there are stars. So the next time you are... You know, outside in a clear uh, at night in a in a area which has some clear. Uh, oh my god! Sorry. Uh, because of the uh, space pants joke, Nicole just showed us a picture space of space pants uh, <laughs> of uh, from Peter. Saturday Night Live. Peter Dinklage doing his uh, it's very Devo esque uh, space pants song. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's very funny. But, uh, yeah, so the next time you're outside on a clear night and you look up and you see all these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of little pinpoints of light, just imagine that there are twice as many random planets just soaring through space, waiting to either be caught by the gravitational pull of a star or to make contact with another celestial body. That said, the Nibiru cataclysm is totally bullshit, and if you believe in it, you're a moron. Are you referring to the one about the, uh, that's where the asteroid belt is? It was a couple of planets that smashed into each other? It's it's the whole planet X thing, and that it'll eventually collide with Earth. Yeah, that's that's total crap. Say, I feel the same way about Nemesis, which is supposed to be the evil counterpart of the sun. Exactly. Yeah, that's... Space and science are cool enough without introducing all that other bullshit. Yeah. So I, I think uh, we're going to go ahead and, uh, Ashes, you uh, seem very ready for the uh, Von Nightmare Vineyard. Well, I, I am very ready. Um, I actually have something a little different today. Um, as we head into November, we're getting closer to the holiday season, the season of giving back. Uh 
I always say, if you're going to drink, drink with a purpose. Now, sometimes it's up to you to determine that what that purpose is. But in this instance, uh, there are plenty of wines out there that actually coincide with different organizations and foundations. So today, I want to talk about Colby Red. Colby Red is based out of California, and it's actually made by a winemaker whose son was born with a heart condition. And as his son, uh, who is still alive, um, as his son got older, his son decided that he wanted to do something to not only help himself, but help other kids who have heart defects who are born this way um so his dad the winemaker took upon took it upon himself to create a wine and name it after his son so we have colby red which is a unique blend of cabernet petite syrah merlot zinfandel and syrah it is a deep crimson color it's absolutely gorgeous it contains aromas of ripe red cherries raspberries and star anise um, the wine is generous on the palate with a rich mouthfeel complemented by well-integrated tannins and bold flavors of red berry and hints of clove spice. The finish is smooth with a slight toasty vanillin character which lingers and is achieved from oak aging. It is a beautifully integrated wine. I really enjoy it. Um, you can find it online. You can find it at your local um, I know they have it at Austin Liquors. You can probably also find it at your local local liquor store. Um, you can actually check online and see what places carry it. So, yeah, and all of the proceeds uh, from this specific wine go to the American Heart Association and other organizations as well. Um, and if you know me, you know that the American Heart Association is near and dear to my heart because my dad actually passed from a sudden massive heart attack. So uh, do something good. Drink with a purpose. Drink something that is going to change some lives. So... There Very nice. That was an excellent recommendation. That was and, great. You know, you know, it, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go no ahead. I, was just, I was just going to say, uh, if I could uh, throw out a alcohol recommendation. Go ahead. If, if you don't mind. No, not at all. Well, kind of tying into the theme of this particular episode, one of my favorite breweries is actually one that is up in your neck of the woods. It's the Mercury Brewing Company out in Ipswich, Massachusetts. And they have a particular line of beers under their Clown Shoes label that I'm particularly fond of. And in tying into El Santo, we have their Luchador en Fuego beer, which is a Mexican-style chocolate stout. It comes out once a year. Very, very tasty. They, it's brewed with ancho chili along with some chipotle, uh, chipotle pepper, and it's all brewed in bourbon barrels. And to Ooh. quote them directly from their site, uh, may it leap unto your palate majestically like a luchador who flies into the ring from atop the highest rope. Ooh. So that is Clown Shoes, Luchador en Fuego. It's an awesomely tasty beer. That's a hell of a recommendation. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I will say, though, uh, listening to you, Ashes, talk about your the, the different uh, aspects of the wine... Every time I hear the word tannins, all I think of is that scene in in the birdcage. Uh, yes, tannins. Yes. <laughs> tannins. You never drink white wine. I just think of Biff Tannin. Oh. Right. When you said mouthfeel, I was like, "Ooh, Bob's Burgers again! Yeah, Exceptional mouthfeel." mouthfeel. <laughs> but, 
All right, so we all know what time it is now. <laughs> Bond. Change the call. So for this episode, I'm going to do a two comics, two comics recommendation. Um, we're going to talk about kick-ass women because why not? Um, one comic book that I've been reading since 2015 is called Lady Killer. By it comes from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Joelle Jones is the creator, the artist, and writer for it. Um, it the tagline is a level of violence that can only be described as Mad Men's. Betty Draper meets Dexter. Um, it follows a housewife, Josie, who has a dark past who um, assassinates people while trying to live out her American dream. The series was only supposed to be a five issue in 2015, but due to popular demand and overnight success, um, August 2016, they just came out with another five, um, five issue and hopefully continue more because Joelle Jones is a fantastic uh, artist and writer. If you're not familiar with her work, take take a look with Lady Killer and um, some of the Superman comics. And she did a uh, eight issue run with Mockingbird for Marvel, which just ended tragically, which sucks. And the other one would be Briggsland, just which came out recently, August 2016. It follows. Uh, it's a. It's been known as an American crime story. It's a violent and lively story of Briggsland, a hundred-mile rural wildness in upstate New York, where a fi- family it runs a highly s- secretive anti-government sectionist movement. The patriarch gets um, gets stuck in prison for trying to kill the president, so his wife takes over the land and trying to take over this whole family's anti-government sectional sectionalist. Um, movement. Um, AB, AMC just recently stated that they're going to take this into a TV adaptation. So definitely take a look. Brian Woods is the writer of the comics, and those are my two comic book recommendations. Awesome. So with uh, with that said, uh, we're going to pretty much bring this show to a close. Once again, Elgoro, thank you very, very much for uh, gracing us with your podcast presence oh it was an absolute pleasure thank you for having me on the show anytime oh yes uh we'll definitely have you back when we uh do the old man logan run there we go oh i can't oh, wait yeah. so uh next week uh we do not have a, a topic that we're going to discuss yet because it is a mystery and will be revealed at the time of the show but we have a very special guest that will be on. And then we have three other very special guests that will be on. I heard they're a rowdy bunch of people. They, they like to throw rowdy. punches. They, they oh. drink. They like tacos. They oh. are the Punch Farm Podcast. That's right. We will have Mark, Lish, Mark, and Nikki. It's Mark Dos. We will have the four of them. In what may be the craziest team-up since Santo and Captain America. And I believe, I believe there may be a Super Fights throwdown. Oh, oh yes. Shit. There, oh. Is, there, is a, a, there has been a challenge that was uh, thrown down by Ashes and myself. 
And there has been some insinuation on the part of the Punch Farm podcast that uh, in my utter domination and destruction twice of Mark in the super fights that we have had, that maybe my card selection has not been above board. So then that will be my deal because I do have the whole super fights Mm -hmm. game. So we will make this... All clean fights. We will, we will have Nicole and Wolfie here to verify the authenticity of our choices. So tune in for that because that is going to be one hell of an episode. And you haven't Sounds lost like yet, right? I have not. I'm two and zero. Oh, oh he is. He is currently undefeated, and uh, I don't plan on losing. Oh no! So bring <laughs> it. Bring it. Hashtag Punch Farm. <laughs> oh. Wow, coming from our own show. Wow. Heel I apologize in advance. Agent Nicole will no longer be on the show. We are shipping her to Pennsylvania. You guys can pay for the bill. <laughs> no, you'll still pay. No, I won't. You're contractually obligated. Mm. You know what? We'll swap we'll swap you and we'll we'll uh we'll trade you for Nikki. Okay, I'll have fun getting shit-faced with uh, Punch Farm. We'll have tacos. All right. All right, so uh, with that being said, we are going to go ahead and bring this episode to a close. And see you next Thursday. Thursday. Going down, Mark.